distanced locales about the 1983 directorial debut of James L. Brooks, Terms of Endearment, starring Deborah Winger and Shirley MacLaine, and Brooks adapted the screenplay from a novel by Larry McMurtry. And this is our Mother's Day special, by the way, so we're going to go hard on talking about mom stuff. Prepare yourself. Yeah, I totally cried so hard watching this movie. I was prepared for it to be really sad because I knew it was a sad movie, but it was good. Had you guys not seen it before? No, I hadn't seen it. I never saw it. I would go to Blockbuster a lot when I was a kid, and I actually bought this Blockbuster video. It was like an, uh, the best of the Oscars VHS tape. <laughs> and I remember that clip of like, give my daughter the shot is the famous Oscar <laughs> clip. Yeah. For Shirley McLean. I don't see why she has to have this pain. Ma'am, it's not my patient. It's time for her shot. You understand? Do something. All she has to do is hold on until 10. And it's past 10. She's in pain. My daughter is in pain. Give her the shot. You understand? You're going to behave. Give my daughter the shot. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I knew her daughter had died, but it's pretty intense. Had you seen it? Me? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it. I thought when it came out in the theater, I was probably way too young for it. I mean, I was like a kid. I don't know what year it is, but... It's, it's like 1983. 80, so I was 11. And then I had seen it, like, one other time. I kind of just wanted to rewatch it. I don't have, like, any special fondness for this movie. I just wanted to watch it as an adult. Like, I'm the like, same age about that Shirley MacLaine was when they made this movie. Wow, that's wild. That is so wild. People aged badly back then. <laughs> if you're not happy for me, I'm going to get so mad if you're not happy. <laughs> Why should I? Why should I be happy about being a grandmother? Does this mean you won't be knitting the baby any booties? I feel like they used to count differently or something. <laughs> 40 or like 50. Years, <laughs> much older. <laughs> I'm like, this doesn't sound right at all. I've got a lot of hot probs. So many. Do you want to go right into hot probs? Let's yeah. launch into it. Shut up. Hot probs is on. Oh, shit, yeah. Who wants to start? <laughs> I had a bunch, too. I think my hottest prod of a lot <laughs> was when she's dying and they're deciding who's going to raise her kids and her friend just wants to raise one of her kids. And I, <laughs> I, I know. 
I can't believe I'm not going to get to raise that little girl. Is it terrible for me to say that I can't stand seeing your mother get her hands on that little girl? I just love to raise that little girl. Look, I love you, but Teddy couldn't spare her. That was a fucking crazy thing. Yeah. Her friend is kind of terrible. <laughs> Is that her name? Patsy? Oh yeah, like her New York <laughs> friends really suck. Like when they go to New York, they're obviously very bonded. They grew up together in Houston, and she obviously loved Deverwinger, but there were some moments where I'm like, what? She had like a lot of shitty, superficial friends, and the way she talked about people was weird. Yes. With like, oh, I'm dating a Jewish person or something. <laughs> You yeah, she said something about like I was in such a bad way after the divorce. I was dating Jews or something like that. It was so interesting dating Jews after the divorce. They are so lively. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, in Los Angeles, they were like so anxious to make you feel as if they understood your secret thoughts better than anybody. And I was just glad I had some. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I know. <laughs> I was like, okay, that sounds. Problematic. Yes. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Patsy was a bit of a problem. I really enjoy when the friend is like, Patsy tells us you have cancer. <laughs> Patsy tells us you have cancer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we should really talk later. I'm a nutritionist and my husband's with Ticketron. <laughs> Yeah, that was funny. Because that was after they had a discussion where she's like, I just don't want anybody to talk behind my back about it. I want to be more open about it. In less than two hours, two of them told me that they had had abortion. That's our, oh, the one with the yeast disease that the, she had vaginal herpes. If that's fit conversation for lunch, what's so god-awful terrible about my little tumors? Tell them it's okay to talk about the cancer. And so her response to Emma's request about let's not be so secretive about my cancer is to just to tell everybody about it, I guess. That was kind of funny. It seemed like they were trying to characterize her friend as a terrible friend, but it wasn't clear all the time. I wasn't 100% yeah. sure about it. It's weird at the beginning when they're smoking weed in her bedroom, and then, like, right before she goes out to talk to her mom, she kisses her, like, full-on, long kiss on the lips, like, more yeah. than friends kind of kiss, it seems like. I was very confused by that. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like she's not going to marry Flap because she's in love with her best friend. Is that just how people kissed each other? That was a normal goodbye. I'm going down the hall, my friend. Kiss. That, that sort of occurred to me too. And it was also like one of those, I'm blanking on other movies that have this scenario, but it's like the night before someone gets married. Well, it's sort of in Bridesmaids too with Maya Rudolph and Kristen Wiig. And it's like, we're never going to be like this after tonight, you know, because she's getting <laughs> married and you can't be friends and this is never going to be this way again because I'm getting married kind of thing. So maybe it was like one of those very momentous goodbye. I don't know. <laughs> but she was I just going down the hall to talk to her mom. <laughs> she was coming right back. I think that's part of a male screenwriter and a male director that they just think women are kissing each other on the mouth all the time she kissed her mom on the mouth when she left and i'm like that was another that was i what was that <laughs> that's your mom <laughs> i would kiss my mom like that or kiss Lucy like that <laughs> no thank you <laughs> do men think women are just kissy like that lest we 
forget that the screenplay was written by a man based on a book written by a man about women, so there's going to be some weird shit in there, I guess. I don't know the background, why either of them thought that they were the right ones for the job telling the story. <laughs> Maybe it's a Texas thing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Everything's bigger in Texas, including kisses. Look. <laughs> <laughs> That was crazy. I actually, yeah, I wrote down, Jesus, is that how she kisses her mother? <laughs> That's my note. <laughs> also, wear your fucking seatbelts <laughs> in the car. Their whole long yeah. drive, they're just I mean, like... I think that's true to the time. Though. It was, but what a problem. Okay. <laughs> and that, that was... like, very problematic old-school car seat that's in the front seat. <laughs> oh, I know. Like, oh my god, it's in the front seat. Oh yeah, people did that. The hot prop for me, the first date, the lunch date with Aurora and the astronaut. He gets drunk, and he drives her on the beach... And then they get out. I just remember a lot of people talking about this movie about how Jack Nicholson and Shirley McLean are so great together and their chemistry or whatever is so great. I wonder if people in the theater in that scene where they're fighting in the water thought it was kind of funny or something, but it seemed like the worst date ever. I see the go, the Mexico lobby! I'm not enjoying this! <laughs> Give me a chance! he was like endangering her life and stuff i mean it just looked like hell to me so that was my big hot prop i thought it was really weird how he acted like his hand was like stuck on her boob or something yeah like, yeah, yeah. Uh, he improvised that like, oh did he <laughs> but then it's like but don't you dare hand on my boob i didn't think that was such a jump i thought she had a weird overreaction to that but then it's like no i can't get it out what is it stuck on what I know. Oh, I thought she was just not letting him have his hand back or something. Oh, oh, oh my God! Get it! Get it out of there! I can't! Get it out! I swear I can't! I swear to God! You were having such a good time and you had to go through this! Oh, please! Please, anything! Bend down! Bend down! Why did you have to get drunk? I should not! Unless she has some major, like, pectoral muscles where she was clenching them because she was nervous and his hand, his hand was stuck. I don't know. I was trying to figure out what was going on there. Just like, referencing, like, a very binding undergarment. Like, she's so uptight. She has some real crazy bra happening. I mean, I was like, what? <laughs> It was truly perplexing. I was squirming, literally squirming, every time Jack Nicholson was on screen, basically. He was so... I was trying to figure out if he was supposed to be charming or not, and I realized that this was the blueprint for his Academy Award winning, and I know he won an Academy Award for this, too. Turn later in As Good As It Gets became the Jack Nicholson lovable asshole trope. Uh, Oh, I hated that movie. I hate that movie. It's fucking garbage. This was very much the rewards that they got for this character, both James L. Brooks and Jack Nicholson. They're like, let's do it again later, and next time he'll be an old version of this character. Chris actually thought maybe he was supposed to be an older version of that guy. He was like, was it the same guy? (laughs) Maybe. Did not care for that. It was 
that scene where he's drunk and those young women are dropping him off and she's like, I thought I would meet a hero. Why not come on in then? Because you're much older than the boys I date. Because you're drunk. And because when I went there tonight to see a United States astronaut give a lecture, I didn't expect him to prowl after us all night long. I expected a hero. It was just so pathetic. And then he's asking Shirley MacLaine out on a date. And they're walking to the edge of the fence, so they'll be closer together, and then kind of like reaches for her hands. And it's just really sleazy. Yeah, it didn't make any sense that anyone would fall for this. And I liked at least that the young women were not falling for it. I appreciated that he wasn't like a successful Lothario. He was just an attempted yeah. Lothario. But then I did not understand why Aurora would fall for it at any point. I mean, I get that she was lonely, but she was literally surrounded by men who wanted to be with her and many of them were very nice not all of them but is Jack Nicholson really that much of a step up from Danny DeVito I don't think so Danny DeVito's character was so sweet and cute actually I thought he was very sweet I feel like I haven't stopped talking since I came in I guess because I've been thinking about you so much can I give you a suggestion how to handle me yes ma'am don't worship me until I've earned it thank you ma'am I appreciate any advice you can give me. I liked him. Yeah, I liked him, but I think, yeah. I think it was just kind of mostly about sex. Like, it was weird she just has these, like, suitors around her all the time, you know, <laughs> that she's not interested in. And then I feel like they did make a point to make it clear that she's not lonely. I think it was just supposed to be, like, about attraction. I think mm-hmm. it was, like, physical or chemical with him, I guess. Yeah. Because she definitely makes a point early on to say that she doesn't have physical desire at all. Like she says to the one guy. Why don't you face up to the fact that you have certain biological needs? Because I don't. So I guess he just awoken something in her. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know why. Was it the big pot belly that was sticking out of his shirt? Or what was it about him? I don't know. Maybe it's like an astronaut thing. Aurora doesn't really (laughs) seem like no one's good enough for her or she has very high standards status wise I guess I kind of wondered what her husband was like her husband disembodied voice Albert Brooks honey it's not good for you to be checking on the baby every five minutes and imagining one terrible thing or another I know I know here it starts That's a fun fact I have. I was really excited about that. Yeah, what the fuck is it with astronauts? I kind of like that portrayal of astronauts as just being hotheads who aren't, they're not really heroes. They're just people who are willing to do this really fucking risky thing and happen to be healthy physically. I kind of like that sort of shade on astronauts. I mean, people were at first, but then they met him. They were like, oh, yeah, you're not that cool. But it, the uh, whole thing yeah. was with those young ladies. They were like, we thought you were cool because you were an astronaut, but we see now that you're not. Right. But why would you just automatically think an astronaut was cool? I guess that was a thing back then. <laughs> it's just yeah. cool to do that. Well, yeah, because it opens up with, is the astronaut moving in? Yeah, they're waiting around to see a glimpse of him. Oh, I have another kissing hot prop, which was that they don't even acknowledge the fact that Emma has a cold on her wedding night. She just <laughs> has a red nose and is constantly blowing her nose and then at one point she has full-on snot streak across her cheek and then they're like making out i'm like god wipe your face do you not feel that snot on your cheek i was like oh my gosh she's getting sick this early in the movie like, I thought, <laughs> it's 
something's wrong. This is a clue here. It's usually a cough in movies. It's like someone has a cough and then, then they're dying. And there's a little bit of blood on their tissue. <laughs> but it was breast cancer, not lung cancer. Did you guys all like immediately check your boobs after watching this movie? No. <laughs> I did. Uh, that's just me, I guess. I just had a mammogram in September, though. Oh, yeah, I've never had one. It says I'm due. It's like... Yeah, I get to get one every year because my mom had breast cancer, so now I got a fun family history. But it seems like they can just pop up anytime. I don't know, according to... I don't know how much movie cancer is accurate to real life, but it does seem like it's just... It's not there, and then it's there, and then you're dead. Yeah. Yeah, her cancer, it went pretty fast in this movie. Yes. The movie was too long, I thought. That was a prop for me. I was like, this thing is going on and on. It was quite an epic saga. So I also had a hot prop how Emma was so mad at Flap for maybe cheating on her, and she definitely cheated on him. I thought that was a little weird. I didn't love that. I felt like that was a little bit of a sexism in the writing. You know, it goes both ways kind of thing. These people just keep hurting each other over the years instead of he's a philandering shitbag. It's like, no, they deserve each other. This is just how they love each other. I was getting that kind of vibe. There were little things like that that made me mad to where when I did cry toward the end of the movie, I was really mad about it. (laughs) Because I was like, I don't want this movie to make me cry. Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you, movie. This movie's an abusive relationship, basically. Yes, exactly. Uh, it was that little boy. It was that little fucking boy in the hospital room. That's that's the part where I started crying. I love you very much. I love you as much as I love anybody. As much as I love myself. And in a few years, when I haven't been around to be on your tail about something or irritating you, you're gonna remember. And you're gonna realize that you love me. And maybe you're gonna feel badly because you never told me. But don't. I know that you love me. So don't ever do that to yourself, all right? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I started crying in that part. It was the really little boy who got me. I want you to make a lot of friends. And I want you to be real nice to the girls because they're going to be real important to you, I swear. We're not afraid of girls. What makes you think that? Well, you may be later on. I doubt it. Why don't you shut up? Shut up! You shut up. Ted, give me a kiss. Come on. You two should run along. Take care. I'm so scared, but I think it went really well, don't you? Yeah. His acting was so good. How did they get him to cry like that? He was so. Oh, I know. And and Deborah Winger's like, I think that was good, and the boys like. Yes, advice. I know. <laughs> you know was that so was cool. that was it for me. When he shuts the door, that's when I was Niagara Falls. <laughs> oh God, that little kid. His name is Huckleberry Fox, by the way. That child actor. I know. <laughs> Huckleberry. <laughs> that's bold. <laughs> really is. His little hair, his bowl cut was really special. Yeah. I thought that Aurora should have gone to her wedding. I know she didn't want her to marry Flat, but just go to the fucking wedding. You know what I mean? That's sort of how I felt about it. That was fucked up, but I thought it was pretty decent characterization. Right, yeah. It's something that I totally could see that character doing, but I was just like, ugh. 
Wow. Yeah, I actually kind of liked that scene because Emma is the one who says, well, if you feel this way, don't come to my wedding. And I felt like she did not really mean that, you know. She was trying to get her back off and how she was just like, you know, the hypocrisy was bothering me too. And then I came to grips with the reason why I couldn't think of a wedding gift for you. If you marry Flat Horton tomorrow, it will be a mistake of such gigantic proportions. It will ruin your life and make wretched your destiny. Mother, I'm marrying Flap Horton tomorrow. And I think if this is your attitude, you shouldn't bother showing up at my wedding. No, I think you're right. The hypocrisy was bothering me too. I really liked that. I like when someone calls somebody's bluff, you know, <laughs> I guess I have. Yeah. There's a long time with someone who makes knee-jerk statements like that, which is, I think, attracted to, to dismiss somebody's feelings. Oh, if you feel that way, don't come. And then, then you want that person to back off. And be like, no, 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 I don't mean it. I think that's a real manipulative tactic. I don't think she really meant don't come to my wedding. You just wanted her to drop this subject. So I like that she calls her bluff and doesn't go, but then how immediately, of course, she's sorry and she's calling her a bunch of times and she's acting like she's never gonna speak to her mother again over this and then they're right away back to to talk. I liked how it was a big thing, but also not a big thing. It was like, I can't believe you're not coming to my wedding. And then it doesn't really affect their relationship at all. Yeah, I would think that would be a point of no return for a lot of people. They clearly were so bonded. I kept thinking about the title of the movie and the poster says come to terms. A lot of the relationships are so complicated and these people are so important to you, but they let you down. You know, it's just like coming to terms with how things are with other people that are important in your life and how people deal with that. It is an interesting title because there is kind of a lot of ways to interpret it because there's terms which are phrases, right? When you normally hear that, you're like, oh, like deer and honey and blah, blah, blah. But no one ever uses those words in this movie. (laughs) It's more like the other kind of terms, which is like stipulations, right? (laughs) The stipulations of, of loving these people. There's a lot of stipulations, it seems like. Yeah. I saw a lot of my mom in this mall, actually, in my relationship with my mom. I know we're going to talk about that later with the lunchtime poll, but there were definitely some major hard relief moments for me. Very contentious relationship I had with her, but there were a lot of moments where she'd be mad at me, and then she'd just call me and basically be like, we'll just put that behind us, but she'll still, she would still reference it, you know, from time to time. This is just like that time you did this. But there was never anything that was like a deal breaker. It seemed like things could get really bad, but there was never going to be anything that would end our relationship. So I don't know. I guess I could relate to that. Other hot probs. I had the grocery store scene. It just bothers me, I guess, when things come to weirdly even amounts. When her groceries are $44 even. Like, what are the fucking odds? (laughs) <laughs> yeah that scene is pretty weird i do like how the little kid puts back the candy bar <laughs> that kid. i don't know um, but then like how she loses her shit on her kid in the parking lot after which is like don't wait in the car this is looking like the worst time i've ever had i didn't know i could get cheered up so fast and grateful no problem come on wait over by the car a second honey come on wait over by the car honey no come on wait over by the car honey Wait over by the car, honey! Over by the car! Now! 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 (laughs) That made me laugh very hard, though. Like the way she yelled at her kids, go wait in the car? Yeah. 
I was, well, first first of all, just like telling him over and over again. I was relating, 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 but then when she yelled, and I'm like, whoa, that's a little too far, but just the telling your kids something over and over again and having them just stare at you, dumbfounded, and we were like, do the thing I just said, do it, do it. I mean, I guess it is <laughs> indicative of the pressure she's under and where she is mentally. She's not in a good place. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it escalated a little quick, you know, like, <laughs> I definitely know that bit where you're like, you know, get shoes. Maybe it's because she was panicking a little bit because she didn't want him to notice that she was going to flirt with John Lithgow. <laughs> I don't know. I love how afterwards he's like, you're great with them. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that was funny. Nice boys. You're great with them, too. Really. I couldn't tell if he was serious or not. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just like, Boy, that was real awkward. <laughs> That's his way of flirting. I think he was just so nice. He had to say something, so he said something nice. Oh, and last hot prop is the house that they're moving out of in Houston looked like the condemned building. Yeah. It was like above a garage or something. Yeah, yeah. I was like, do you have to climb a ladder to get into this house? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did not understand that at all. There were just moments where it just seemed like they were cutting corners on the production and it made it not make any sense or it was sort of implying something about their situation that they maybe weren't meaning to imply. I don't know. I was like, good, I'm glad they're moving. No one should live there. It seemed like that was part of Aurora's disapproval of Flap is that he was poor and he wasn't going to be successful. That's the feeling I got. He wasn't good enough in that way. Anyway, <laughs> he wasn't good enough. Full stop. I do like the line. I wrote down the line that or that he said. They come home from their wedding and they're eating food outside, and he's like, "You're my sweet ass girl." I really liked that line. I thought it was endearing. <laughs> They did have a cute relationship at first. He should have been like a fun boyfriend, but he really wasn't the marrying type. People used to get married so young, and I don't think they put that much thought. You're 22, you marry the guy that you've been dating for six months. I think now people get married older, so he would have been the guy that you just dated for a little bit while you were in college. And it was sort of the norm to get married at like 22. And it's like, okay, you'll do, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Let's have three kids. <laughs> Jesus. I loved that Aurora was pushing for an abortion. I was like, yes, this is one time when you should really listen to your mother. Do yeah. not have another baby with this man. Yeah, she was probably a little late for that. I thought that was cute. She's like, I, I think I might be pregnant again. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> Although you do pop yeah. out faster like, with... That's right, you do so sooner. And she had such a small frame anyway. Maybe it wasn't too late. But she'd never even considered it. She was just like, no, obviously I'm having this baby. <laughs> well, I don't have any more hot props, I don't think. Other than my whole section called Fuck Flap Horton. <laughs> Anybody else have any hot props? No, I don't think so. No, I think we covered it at all. Next call. I have a lot of lines that I like. Yeah. Okay. I've already started underlining meaningful passages in her copy of Mopey Dick, if you know what I mean. Okay, so I really liked Emma's line to flap. Why is it every time I get happy, you turn perverse? You didn't buy this time for me. You were worried about how I was going to look to your mother. Now, I wish she would stop being such a quizzling where she is concerned. Why is it every time I get happy, you turn perverse? <laughs> Buying this time made you happy? Yes. Yes. 
I wish you could understand this because you really don't. I mean, it made me very happy buying this tie. I went to two or three places before I finally found the right place. And then describing your jacket to the salesman and knowing how perfect it would match with what you were wearing, which, by the way, it certainly does. And I liked how she sort of flipped that because he's kind of like mocking her a little bit for being really excited about this tie. He's like, it's because you don't think I'm good enough for your mom to go to your mom's house. I have to get wear this stupid tie. And basically she's like, you don't understand how happy it made me to shop for this. And I was really excited because it went with this. And I really liked that. She was able to really express the other side of it. I really liked that part. You can get, it's like a different perspective of, okay, well, maybe you don't like the tie, but at least appreciate that this makes me happy that I did this, you know? And the, you're a sweet ass girl. I really liked that. <laughs> when she's moving and she says to her mom, that's the first time I ever stopped hugging first. I like that. <laughs> oh, and that's the first time I stopped hugging first. Really sweet and kind of indicative of their whole relationship. That was a line that really said a lot. Yes, definitely. There was another line later on that was, I think, just as powerful, which was when her mom says, I always think of us as fighting. <laughs> and then Emma says, well, that's because you're never satisfied with me. That was a hard relate moment for me, majorly hard relate, because my mom literally would say that to me. It's always a fight with us. And it's like, well, it's really more of a one-sided thing. Like, really, that's how it felt to me. Like, she was always thinking we were in a fight, and I was always trying to figure out why she was mad at me all the time. Actually, I wrote that down, and that was a relate for me, but with Rich. Mm-hmm. Although I felt the opposite. You just feel that way because you're never satisfied with me. It was a hard relate to someone who is constantly criticizing you and always letting you know you come up short. I felt the opposite way, though, that I was the one who felt like we're always at odds because he's constantly criticizing me, whereas I did, like, he felt like, well, we're mostly fine if you would just do everything a little better, you know? Yes. But it's a totally different dynamic. Like, that's yeah. Like, yeah. That's a different kind of relationship from their relationship. I did write down that line, too. And I wrote, relate, but opposite. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a good exchange of dialogue. There were some really good moments of writing. I appreciate that. I mean, it won, like, a, so many Oscars. One of them was the best adapted screenplay. Yeah, I am curious to go back and read the book. You've read it before? No, I've never read okay. it. He wrote Lonesome Dove, which is great. That's the only thing I've ever read by him. I don't know. I'm curious. I might see if that's a... It's hard to get any books right now <laughs> with mm-hmm. the library. If that's available as an ebook at the library, I would like to read that. Maybe there's a good audiobook. Maybe somebody fun's reading the audiobook. Yeah. If it was John Lithgow. I know he used to do audiobooks. I really like the opening scene when she's like, it's crib death, and then she goes, it's better. <laughs> Roger, it's crib death. It's sleep. She's asleep, honey. Maybe. Come on. Emma. Oh, good. It's better. (laughs) I really like that. A line that I really liked and thought about was thought-provoking for me was, you are not special enough to overcome a bad marriage. You are not special enough to overcome a bad marriage. And then another one that, like, hit me. So wait, because I was curious to watch this from two perspectives, like, as a parent, 
And then also, you know, as someone who lost a close family member to cancer, that's where I thought it was going to be getting me from those two things. But where it got me the most was a bad marriage. So it was kind of like this curveball for me right after their wedding and they're walking, there's all those stacks of books in the room. And she's like, wouldn't it have been crazy if one of us married someone who didn't read? I thought about you and that, actually. I mean, I knew that I married someone who didn't read, but I also feel like, oh, that is a little crazy. It's <laughs> um, like a big thing to not have in common with someone. Um, yeah. Really a weird swerve for me watching this. I thought it was going to be one thing, and then it was like, oh, this was this was the way that this really spoke to me. A line I really liked a lot is when they're moving, and she says, some people say it's the best city in Iowa, which is like, such a great, like, damning with me phrase. Some people say, not even definitively, no. it's just best city in Iowa. Not the country, not the world, not even Midwest. It might be the best city in Iowa. Yes. <laughs> Some people say. More than one person has said that. <laughs> it's definitely not definitive, but it might be. Can you name another city in Iowa? <laughs> I wish I had written down what this was responding to. I know Aurora asked the doctor something. Oh, I think she asked him something, and he says, what I usually say is hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. And she says, and they let you get away with that. How is she? I always tell people to hope for the best and prepare for the worst. And they let you get away with that. I really like that. Yeah. And then, again, this is something Aurora said to Flap. I don't remember exactly what he said, but she said, well, they don't have anything to feel ashamed about. How are the children? Oh, I wish I were so carefree. Yes, well, they don't have anything to feel ashamed about. It was a real cutting line to Flap. I like that she never, like, stopped hating him. They didn't become allies. It wasn't like, oh, okay, we're going through this crisis. We have to come together. It was mm -hmm. like, no, I still hate you. <laughs> I really like that. Yes, me too. I mean, he never stopped being terrible, so. <laughs> sure did not. Again, like, an unexpected curve for me when she's dying and they're talking about what's going to happen with the kid. And man, how he is just like talking to her about how this affects his identity. And I know. how this is affecting him. And how I never thought I'd be someone who'd give up with him. Just tell me, hon, you really want to raise him? I never thought I was the sort of man who'd give up his kids. It's a lot of work. As hard as you think it is, you end up wishing it were that easy. I really don't think they should be with you, honey. Wow, who fucking cares what you think of yourself or how this is affecting you? Hard or late, you know, like yeah. seeing a man. There's no situation. Yeah, it, it also seemed like he was sort of fishing for like a reassurance or like approval or something. I thought it was like, oh my god, I can't believe he doesn't want to raise his kids. Uh. That's... Well, I mean, I'm glad that he admitted it eventually, because I was worried that he was going to be I like... He's being honest. Yeah, because but... he hadn't been, so I was really worried that he was going to be like, oh no, I'm going to, and that his ego is going to be like, I'm not going to be the kind of guy who gives my kids up, I don't want to be seen as that, and then ends up fucking up his kids because he's such a dick about it. <laughs> so I'm glad that he turned around at the end there, at least. Yeah. He saved those kids a lot of therapy. I mean, they'll still have to be in a lot of therapy, but they could at least be like, at least my dad knew his limits, and he was, like, fucking falling apart when he had to 
take care of him for a couple of weeks. Right. That was and like my own little. Just in New York, he expects Aurora and Patsy to take. Oh, I just thought some. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, you're taking care of the kids. Yes. Right. Do you feel funny about leaving the kids? I'm not leaving them. I'm entrusting them to their father. Oh, I thought as long as your mother and Rosie are in town, that you know they. Not them. You. When he says, "Do you feel funny leaving them?" And it's like, oh, I know. Yes, she's like, I'm leaving them with their parents, you fucking asshole. And it's like the only time she's ever been on vacation away from them. Ooh. I really thought about Amy a lot when I was watching this movie. Yes. Another very hard movie to that one. Oh my god. Fuck Flap Horton. Fuck that guy. Why is his name Flap anyway? That's not a name. It's a verb. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be right. short for anything. No one ever calls him anything else. I would imagine in the book there's some explanation of that. Yeah. Because yeah. he never stops flapping his gums about how things affect him. I was thinking maybe you said like a flap of hair or something. <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of movie where my daughter would have said, is that the best hair they had back then? <laughs> <laughs> she most famously said that about Linda Hamilton and Terminator, but I think about that a lot now when I watch movies from the 80s, because was that the best hair they had back then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. The only thing that made me legitimately laugh, that Jack Nicholson's character said, was, you ladies, you like to have lunch a lot, don't you? What the hell? You, you want to have dinner out sometime? No, thank you. What about lunch? You ladies, you... You like to have lunch a lot, don't you? <laughs> Ladies who <Everyone> lunch. <laughs> I genuinely laughed when uh, Emma made that <laughs> oral sex joke, Here Comes the Bride. I thought that was a good bit. I liked it. <laughs> and I really like her dorky laugh slash orgasm. Hey, at least, at least flap goes down. I don't know. <laughs> There's one point in the flap column. <laughs> I love that their son calls Grandma Mrs. Greenway. Tom, are you going to be good to your mother and take care of her? Bye, Mrs. Greenway. Goodbye. I wrote down wait over by the car. That was a belly laugh for me. And then I wrote down when the... It's the first... What's the first son's name? Teddy's the little, the little boy who... Breaks my heart. Tommy. When they're walking up the stairs and he like trips a little bit and I feel like this must have been an ad lib or something. And she goes, oh, did you hurt yourself? And he goes, not yet. Oh, once we are, did you hurt yourself? No, not yet. Like this seems like a little Frankie thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I did like his line, like the little kid says something like, oh, dad's home. And he's like, is it tough being a genius? <laughs> Sibling exchange, yeah. I wrote down the exchange when she's at that awkward dinner with all the New York ladies. And they're like, what did you do for work? She says, I never worked. I never really worked. And they go, oh, that's okay. And then she says, thanks. Are you going to wait till she's in school before you go back to work? Oh, I never really worked. Well, that's okay. Thanks. I think that's a great exchange. Yeah, that, <laughs> that kind of is still relevant of the divide. Yeah, that, was another, that was a relate for me. I had a lot of like, oh, what do you do? That's so important. Like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, just shut up. It's okay. 
<laughs> I really loved when Aurora's... Was it Flap? Somebody. They're just having an awkward dinner and... Someone won't stop putting their foot in their mouth about Aurora, and she goes, why does he keep talking? You're not lying about your age, are you? Of course not. I thought you were 52. She's really 52. Come on, Aurora, how do you expect to fool a family doctor? It seems to me she said her age. Uh, my point is, the number doesn't matter, but the effort to conceal it does. Lizzie, why does he keep talking? Doctor, I think you're a mite confused because of being recently witted and all. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Oh, I also, I think it's when Emma goes home because she's mad at him and he's on the phone with her asking, like, oh, Patsy, hey, me, are you guys talking about me? And she says, we have other things to talk about besides you. Yeah, she's right here. No, we have not. We have other things to talk about besides you. I really like that. Yes. <laughs> Although I would say that this movie kind of barely passes the Bechdel test. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a lot of talking about dudes, even if they're just talking yeah. about her sons. Shirley MacLaine, her repressed obsession with propriety, and I guess that just generation of how women were back then really reminded me of stories that my mom would tell about my grandmother, because my grandmother was very proper for lack of a better word. They had tons of words they weren't allowed to say in their house. And, like, <laughs> they were really innocuous-seeming words. But after my grandfather died, my grandmother started dating, and then she started asking her daughters, like my mom and my aunt, about sex. It's so strange that relatively, relatively late in life, I found that sex is so, so... So, so. And my mom felt like, my whole life, you wouldn't let me even talk about anything. Now you want to know about sex? It seemed very relatable with the women in that time. And my mom got married the day after she turned 19. And I think a big reason why she married the guy that she did was because she had sex with him in high school and somehow she really believed that meant she had to marry him. A big reason why my aunt, well, she's a nurse, but she worked at Planned Parenthood for 30 years. And a big reason why she wanted to work there is just, just tell women, you don't have to get married to someone just because you have sex with them. It's just so sad just thinking about how messed up society and sexuality with women. And even today, my mom cannot stand seeing a sex scene in a TV or movie. She's like, oh. This is awful. You know, like she will physically, she will just make these, it's, it's really weird. That just really reminded me of my grandmother. She just was so proper. She also burned a copy of Catcher in the Rye my mom had. She put it in the stove. Whoa. When they were kids. Wow. She heard that was not a good book. Because she heard it was a bit, it wasn't because she read it and was offended. She just heard it was bad. Well, it was not. Well, it was too subversive or something. Wow. This was in Kansas, so, <laughs> yeah. you know. I mean, it was a banned book for a while, I think, right? Wasn't it? Because, sure. because he just says goddamn all the time. That was a big problem for people of that generation. <laughs> Can't my say goddamn. It was a problem for my mom. Stink. Stink? Whoa. She was a kid. Stink? 
Oh. Like, that was a bad. That's that interesting. Bad. That's one of my, that was one of my mom's favorites. <laughs> that stinks. <laughs> she liked that one. She didn't like sucks, though. I couldn't say sucks. Oh, yeah. She my was like, say stinks instead sucks. of sucks. And my mom would be very ashamed if I said that in front of my grandmother. I like to jokingly scold my kids when they say sucks. <laughs> <laughs> my kids have been swearing a lot more, actually, with this whole quarantine thing. They're just walking around dropping F-bombs, and I'm like, ah, whatever. <laughs> They're frustration words, and we're all very frustrated, so... <laughs> But yeah, there are definitely things that my, my mom would scold my kids on stuff that were not that big of a deal. So I definitely got scolded a lot. I wasn't supposed to say God anything. I couldn't yeah. say God or oh my God without her being upset. Couldn't say Jesus Christ. Of course I did. There was so much of my mom and Aurora or vice versa. I saw the lot. And it's funny because my mom hated Shirley MacLaine when I was growing up. I remember her. She did, did oh. not like Shirley MacLaine. And I know she saw that movie. And I wonder if that was part of it, where she saw that movie and she was like, that woman is unreasonable. <laughs> like, I don't know <laughs> if it was like that or not. I wish I could ask her, because I was like, oh, wow, there is so much similarity there. Whew. There were some real moments, which we'll get to. Okay, I love the I'm lying here next to the astronaut. I'm lying here next to the astronaut. Are you really? <laughs> How was it? I'll let you go. Oh, I feel so good for you. I do. You call me as soon as you can, okay, okay? Bye. Yeah. Now they open the phone call. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. That is really cute. Their relationship was kind of sweet. <laughs> Sometimes. What else does a suicide need, huh? Now, if you'll excuse me. So this is what's called a lunchtime poll. Okay, well, the lunchtime poll is which TV or movie, and we're expanding it to TV just because more options which tv or movie mom is the most like your real mom so <laughs> right, i can start for me it's angela's mom in my so-called life played by bess armstrong and i think her name is even patsy in the <laughs> show yes it is and her friend is named camille my mom doesn't go by patsy she goes by pat but my mom also had a best friend named Camille, so... Oh, wow. But she reminded me a lot of my mom back when I watched that show. And there was, especially, there's a scene where a husband, Graham, he went to go take a class and he comes back. It was a cooking class and he comes back and he's like, oh, that guy is really hard to follow. And Patsy is like, do you mean hard for you to follow? <laughs> <laughs>
monster. And she's like, well, is it a neutral? I think it has to be a neutral. <laughs> like, Do you think I forgot how to start my car? <laughs> Why is your assumption that it's you and not the thing? Mm-hmm. Yes, I feel that's, that sounds a little negative about my mom, but, but it's also true. So. <laughs> I think that's how this one's going to go, honestly. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know. I'll go next. (laughs) So before I saw this movie, I would have said it was Mommy Dearest. (laughs) Because there were some very, like, I mean, I love that movie, and I definitely enjoy the camp value of it. It's very high camp, but there were some moments that are super close to home, including the... The no wire hangers scene and kind of the thing that precedes the no wire hangers scene, which is where she wakes her up in the middle of the night because she didn't clean the bathroom well enough. The little girl, his <laughs> name is Christina. Um, yeah. That literally happened to me. Look at this floor. You call that clean, do you? Miss Jenkins said it was clean. Miss Jenkins said it was clean. Do you think it's clean? Do you think it's clean? Look at that. Do you? Yes, I do. Clean up this mess. Ow. You figure it out. Things like that would happen where I would... I don't know what was going on with my mom before she'd wake me up, but something would be going on where it would upset her, and there would be something I was supposed to do earlier in the day, and I didn't do it to her satisfaction, and so she'd wake me up and be like, you're doing it now. Like, that happened to me a bunch. And just how everything was, like, about her, and everything I did was a reflection of her, like, that was all very relatable. <laughs> my mom wasn't, like, she didn't, like, beat me, but... <laughs> but then I saw this movie, and this is kind of more of, like, a... A more nuanced sort of version of her was Aurora in this movie. Let's see, I wrote wrote down many moments. Like when she makes the dinner for everybody and then she just kind of says out of nowhere, this is the sort of thing I used to make when I lived in Boston. (laughs) Good food. Well, this is what I used to serve when I lived in Boston. That was a very Marianne moment. (laughs) That's exactly the kind of shit my mom would say. And then the thing about, like, I don't have biological needs. My mom would definitely say that a lot. Like, I was always trying to get her to do... She never dated anyone after my dad divorced. It was, like, 20 years of nothing. She never dated anybody. There was, like, one guy that my mom's friend thought was her boyfriend, but I think it was probably more like a gentleman-caller kind of relationship like Aurora had with all those guys where they went out to lunch and they would flirt but then when they tried anything she'd be like i don't have biological needs don't talk to me so i related to that a lot and then yeah i always think of us as fighting and then the crib death thing too because of how my mom was always worried about my babies more than i was (laughs) whenever she'd be over she'd be like that baby's gonna die from this or that thing that you're doing (laughs) like that was a very hard relate moment Oh, and then the Renoir. The Renoir coming up over and over again. <laughs> I've been trying to decide what kind of wedding gift to get you. I thought of that Renoir that my mother gave me. Well, I was just sitting here realizing, realizing that I had never shown you my Renoir. What are you talking about? I'm inviting you to come over and look at my Renoir. You're inviting me to bed. Yes, it happens to be in my bedroom. This is it. 
This is the Renoir. My mom's version of the Renoir was that she had these Thomas Kincaid paintings. Oh, wow. And they were just as hideous as that Renoir is in this movie. That Renoir is garbage. <laughs> and she was like, the Thomas Kincaid's, blah, blah, blah. I know you don't like them. Because she tried, kept trying to send them to me. And I was like, do not send me those paintings. I don't want them. But she was like, they're Thomas Kincaid's. In the end, my uncle got them. I don't know if he really wanted them or whatever, but I didn't even want anything to do with them. But she would bring it up a lot. Like, I loved how Aurora was always mentioning the Renoir because my mom would always mention the Kincaid's. Oh, and then there was another moment. Aurora calls Emma, and Emma's like, I'm really busy, I'm making lunches, blah, blah, blah. And she and Aurora's like, you have almost an hour to get them out. My mom always knew my schedule. She would always be like, I'm calling you now because I know that the kids are in school, or I'm calling you now because I know this or that about your schedule. So that really was like a surprising moment for me. She would always reference my schedule that she was aware of. And then when I went to clean out her house after she died, I found the calendar and I was like, oh yeah, she really did keep track of everything. It was all here. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's it. So I would have said Joan Crawford, but now it's definitely Aurora Greenway from this movie. Christina. <laughs> uh, well, mine, I chose it from TV Mom, and it's Tigno Taro's mom from the show on Amazon Prime. It's called One Mississippi. It's t- she's playing herself, Tigno Taro, the comedian, and she moves back to Mississippi after her mother dies. And there's lots of flashbacks. Her mom really reminds me a lot of my mom in the way she has a very a reverent sense of humor and my mom was an art teacher and an artist i have so many pieces that she's painted and she was always just really she would paint all of these pictures of europe but she had never been to europe before so there's a ton of that in the storage unit and then she was just always really fun too and i think the mom in that kind of like in an almost impulsive way my mom was always wanting to escape if she was having a bad day or something she would check us out of school and say hey we're gonna go to the beach we'd be in the back seat and we're like yeah let's go and she would always play with us the way that she was raised her parents were never really involved i guess my grandmother's attitude was children play with children and then adults hang out with adults and my mom always had so much fun being with us and playing. She filmed our soap opera that my sister and I wrote. And Aww. like, here's the here's the tape. This was our soap opera as the fire burns. I have a couple of these tapes, but it says <laughs> as the fire burns. My mom was the cameraman for that. Oh my God, Christina. <laughs> she was always just really fun. And then also, my mom's been sick since I was 10. My sister and I have been taking care of her for our whole lives. And so there's a little bit of that with Tigno Taro's show. So I think that's the one that I would pick. Oh, I have to see but... her soap opera. <laughs> my God. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of tapes. I don't oh, know yeah. how to play it. But... That's a, I think that's a high eight. It was like one of those handheld things. There are places that convert them. Yeah, I want to transfer it. There's mail-in places. I can send you a link. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I love that. That would be cool. She would just do these very unexpected things. Like, I remember there was one time where we had an argument before she dropped me off at school, and I was really upset, and I don't, of course I don't remember, but then I got a note in class that my mom was in school, and she took me out to her car, and she had gotten me a McChicken sandwich from McDonald's, and that was my Aww. favorite thing. <laughs> That's really sweet. Yeah. How oh, very.
That was such a sad movie. I don't know if I can see it again for a little while. It's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, it was really brutal to watch in some parts. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I'm good. I watched it. I don't. I don't think <laughs> <laughs> twenty years later or so, there was a. Maybe not twenty years, like ten or fifteen years later, there was a sequel that I never saw. It's supposed to be terrible. <laughs> um, really? Yeah, the Evening Star. But this sequel, it's about the the little girl is growing up or high school, college or something, and it's Juliet Lewis. I love Juliet Lewis. Me too. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I'm not I'm not willing to watch the evening stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds not good. I feel like we would have heard about it if it were so bad. It's good. I don't know if it's James L. Brooks. James L. Brooks has made some real bad movies. Yeah, I don't I don't know. If but as good as it gets it's terrible and one of my most hated movies is Spanglish oh god yeah I like broadcast news that was really good I love Holly Hunter in that movie that movie is in the Smithsonian for its accuracy (laughs) oh really yeah I do have a patronizing bunny rabbit segment, actually. All we want is to be treated like human beings, not to be experimented on like guinea pigs or patronized like bunny rabbits. It's kind of twofold. First of all, James L. Brooks. I didn't get clarification on this, but just an IND trivia thing said that in interviews, Shirley MacLaine said that James L. Brooks played weird head games with the cast to keep everyone on edge and feeling chaotic throughout the movie. And at one point she drove all the way to the airport to quit because she was so upset by it. So that's not great. Yeah. And then poor Shirley MacLaine because also Deborah Winger was detoxing from cocaine while she was filming this movie. (laughs) And so she was apparently also always on edge anyway and very short-tempered and she would scream at Shirley MacLaine to get over here on her mark. Like way by the car, I imagine when I read that, I was like, I imagine her being like, <laughs> to poor Shirley MacLaine. Wow. <laughs> I know. Is that how yeah. she got branded as being difficult? Because wasn't there a thing where she just kind of disappeared or I maybe nobody so. would hire her or something? I think it probably has something to do with that. <laughs> maybe she should not have been working when she was detoxing from cocaine. Maybe she should have taken some time off. But, I mean, she was really good in this movie, I thought, but I don't love that she took it out on her co-star. Poor Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> it was the Mark Barron podcast. Oh. Jeff Daniels on it, and he was talking about how Jack would be like, watch, I can make Shirley upset. He was joking around about it on the episode. Ha uh-huh. ha. Uh-huh. Yeah. so funny. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Jack had a great time doing that. He was like, I'll do that without you even asking me. Right. I know. <laughs> oh, boy. Jeff Daniels would sort of help James L. Brooks. You want me to get Shirley riled up? Everybody just make Shirley all <laughs> stressed out. Jesus Christ, guys. <laughs> Let her do her right, job. I don't patronize bunny rabbits. I have one more fun fact, which is that at the rap party for this movie, James L. Brooke received the Life in Hell comics as a gift, and that was what inspired him to create The Simpsons with Matt Grading. Wow. Wow. That's a a great fun fact. Yeah. That's funny. That's all I have, I think. Do you guys have anything else to say? Um, Oh, I do. Last year, when Lucy broke her ankle... And we were in the ER, which now seems like seven lifetimes ago. But when I took Lucy to the ER when she broke her ankle, and we were just hanging out. When someone checked in on us, they were like, oh, we'll go get you some ibuprofen. And he never came back with it. And then, like, so much later, he came in. He was like, oh, did you ever get your ibuprofen? And I was like, no. He's like, let me get that right now. And I was like, 
Oh, good. I was about to go all Shirley MacLaine on you, and he laughed really hard, which was like, I wasn't sure that he, that he got that reference and I wasn't just being really old to this, like, young intern guy. Yeah, I have a friend who's old like me, and she said her husband was in the hospital regularly for some chronic illness, and she said she was making Shirley MacLaine references, like, every time, and no one ever got her references. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they should just show that scene in med school. Like, okay, older ladies are going to reference this scene. You should know it. Yeah. <laughs> that should be, I think, the last day of med school is you show that scene. On the next episode of Paid and Puke, we get in touch with our inner superstars. With the movie based on Molly Shannon's iconic SNL character, Mary Catherine Gallagher. 1999's Superstar. Directed by Bruce McCullough and written by Shannon and Steve Korn. If you enjoyed this episode of Paid and Puke, please take a minute to rate us highly on your preferred podcast listening apparatus. If you did not enjoy this episode, no further action is necessary. Paid and Puke is hosted by Amy Green, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. Music by Silent Partner. Follow us on Twitter at Paid and Puke Pod or join us on Facebook at Paid and Puke Podcast. Thanks for listening. Lick it up, baby. Lick it up.